1: Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods.
2: Welcome to our show everybody. I hope you're all having a great August. Um, Our guest today is Mel Selig and she is the author of Change Power, 37 Secrets to Habit Change Successes. And um, whether a person desires to stop smoking, eat healthier, exercise regularly, or achieve another lifestyle goal, Change Power describes how to manage these changes in predictable stages. Um, People will learn to discover their motivators and make the decision to change. Find a way to change through either a personal plan or an organized program, bounce back from slips and relapses, and maintain their new habits over time. Um, and welcome to our show, Meg. Um, There's so much to talk about in terms of change, um, because for a long time we used to think it was just about willpower. And if you had enough willpower, then you could stop drinking or you could stop smoking or you could eat healthfully or you could exercise every day. But it's really more than that, isn't it? It really
3: is, and I'm glad you mentioned that because the reason I titled the book Change Power is to... Uh, help people understand that often you need more than willpower to change a habit. Um, the way that I define willpower, you do need some of it, uh, but I think that willpower really is uh, using the thought of your motivators to guide your behaviors. So you need, your motivators are your reasons for changing. So you do need. To know why you're changing, and you do need to have freely chosen those reasons for yourself. But most of us uh, have a great deal of difficulty using only willpower, say, when we walk into an all-you-can-eat buffet, and just using the thought of our motivators to restrain our eating. Uh, you know, uh, some people can do it, but not most people. And so that was why I coined the word change power, uh, which means willpower plus all of those outside supports, people, places, and things that really keep us going on our desired habit changes.
2: Um, your your book is based on um, the stages of change, and I think it might be good if any of our listeners don't know what the stages of change are, maybe you could just give a, let us all know what what they are and what they mean.
3: Sure. Uh, Everyone starts out in the stage of pre-contemplation, literally before even thinking about changing. And uh, that's the stage when you don't want to change, you're perfectly happy with your habit as it is, although you may have a few glimmers from time to time that you might like to change. And then something may happen in your life to propel you into the next stage of change, contemplation, which, as the word implies, uh, is the stage when you begin contemplating change, thinking about it. And one of the great things, I think, about the stages of change model is that it recognizes that at this stage you're only thinking about change. You're not necessarily intending to change right away is just the beginning of kind of a deep process of deciding whether you want to change or not. And at this stage, particularly at the beginning, you're, you still may be very ambivalent about changing your habit. Part of you might want to change, another part of you doesn't. You can't necessarily see your way clear. But by the end of this stage, you have figured out, that you do want to change and why you want to change. Uh, in other words, what your motivators for change are. And then you begin to step into the preparation stage, which is a, a stage of planning. Uh, how are you going to change? What route will you take? Uh, are you going to change little by little or uh, in larger steps? So usually people draw up a plan, not necessarily a written plan, but just some ideas for how they will uh, proceed to change this habit. And once they start acting on their plan, they've gone into the action stage of change. And as you uh, said at the beginning, most people uh, used to think about changing as just the action stage of change. But the stages of change model taught us that a lot went into those first steps of change, a lot of thinking, a lot of planning, and that people who do that are more likely to succeed in the action stage of change when they're actually trying to change their habit. Um, The action stage can last three to six months, and then people have the challenge of maintaining their habit change. And that, that stage, the maintenance stage, can last uh, two years to a lifetime depending on the person and what the habit change is. Some people can then go into the termination stage where there is absolutely no temptation whatsoever to practice the habit. Uh, most
2: of us, though, stay in the maintenance stage pretty much for life. I think um, some people are really blessed with the ability to do, like, instant change, you know, and sometimes that blessing comes in the way of a health crisis or some type of crisis, and um, do those folks end up being as as successful changing as those of us who change it more gradually? You know, I don't know the data on that,
3: Um, and it's hard to know because I used to think I had quit smoking instantly. And when I looked back at it in more detail, I realized that my inspiration to quit was instant and had to do with uh, my aunt's death from lung cancer, and I vowed that I wouldn't go in that direction. But it actually took uh, many weeks for me to cut down, cut down, cut down, and finally quit. So... um, And even people who make an instant change are still faced with the task of maintaining that change for life. So um, I think that uh, it is wonderful when people can change instantly, but I think to some extent those people are still also going through the stages of change.
2: In your book you talk about provoking um, kind of some type of a – instant change, whether it's through an identity crisis or something, that that's a technique people can use for self-change. Yes, that can be a a very good technique, a
3: a powerful technique, which is to imagine yourself going down the road, um, the same road that you're on right now, which is so self-destructive, And imagining how it could end, for example, imagining that your doctor is saying to you, I'm sorry, Mrs. So-and-so, but I have to tell you that you have lung cancer. And then using your imagination, in other words, to motivate yourself to get moving on your change. Or you can think of a a positive scenario of how great you will feel uh, when you change for example, if you lose weight, the vitality you're going to feel in your life as you walk, go upstairs without huffing and puffing and so on. So you can, uh, you can use your imagination to evoke uh, or provoke uh, a change in yourself to some extent, I think.
2: What are some other uh, tools for trying to um, get through the contemplation stage? To try to make that decision to change well I
3: think some self-examination is really important uh, trying to decide I think some of the researchers call it self reevaluation really taking a look at what values are important to you uh, for example you um, in the case of, of either smoking or overeating habits or, or drinking, uh, all of these habits are known to shorten your life. And really asking yourself what you value. Do you value being there for your family enough that you're willing to take steps to become more healthy? Uh, really kind of holding your own feet to the fire um, and uh putting into sharp relief the things that are really important to you in the long run. I think that's a very effective technique uh, of change in contemplation. Some of the people who uh, are the Dr. Spock's of this world and and can operate on a very rational basis might be able to use the um, pros and cons list, really thinking rationally about the Uh, pros of changing versus the cons of changing, um, and weighing those and trying to put more and more evidence on the pros of changing sides, uh, on the pros side of change. That can be a very uh, effective method for some people just to see the balance of change in black and white, so to speak. So those are a few of the things that I think people can do.
2: A lot of people can get stuck in contemplation for a long time. Um, you know, and I know, like reading a lot of the self-help books or going to um, you know the diet section of the of the bookstore, um, and people can can get stuck there, can't they?
3: That is so true. Uh, and the contemplation stage is so fascinating. Um, I'm really interested in. What is the final straw that leads people to finally open their mind and heart to change? Uh, Because it is true that many people kind of, uh, you do need to gather some information about your habit and educate yourself. But if you find yourself, as you say, always reading books about healthy eating, uh, but never really making any changes in your life, um, that can be a huge Huge problem. And it's then that y- you might want to decide to use what I call change power, some support to uh, really get you on a program of change and get you moving towards change. Because at that point, you may be uh, ready to acknowledge that you can't do it all on your own.
2: I think the other <clears throat> important thing about um recognizing that people change in stages is that when people come into treatment, most likely they're in pre- they are in pre—they may be um, kind of pre-contemplative or contemplative about the need to change. And most of our treatment programs are geared to people who have already made a decision, and this is how you stop drinking. This is how you get um, thin. This is how you uh, learn to not smoke. So there's a lot to be learned from the treatment perspective as well.
3: Yes, and i'm I'm glad you raised that point because uh, I think it's true that most people come into treatment or into counseling or therapy. In the contemplation stage, uh, or even the pre-contemplation stage they they may uh, have been told that they should change, for example. So, uh, it's, it's important to really assess what stage they're in before you uh, ask them to take any actions.
2: And we'll be right back to talk more um, with our guest, Meg Selig, about change power. If you have any questions, please give us a call, and I'm sure Meg would be happy to answer your questions about change. Thank you.
1: Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice,
0: greater health and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear.
4: common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's Westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders.
5: Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness.
2: And our guest today is Meg Selig, who wrote a wonderful book called Change Power, 37 Secrets to Habit, Change, Success. And before we went to break, we were talking um, about this whole nature of um, people being ambivalent about changing and needing to think about it for a long time. Some people need to think about it for a long time. Other people can just say, wow, this is a really good idea. I'm going to start living my life differently. And... um, when we think about people who, are, who come in for treatment, um, I don't think that we're well prepared as clinicians necessarily to understand what kind of treatment works best for someone who's still thinking about change. And I think you have a class. Haven't you taught a class about this as well?
3: Right. I have a class for college undergraduates called Habit Change. It's a one-credit personal development class. And uh, uh, it's a challenge in a class situation as well as in a treatment situation to try to uh, elicit from the students their own reasons for changing and to get out of the mindset of uh, advice giving and knowing what's best for them. Because ultimately they have to make those decisions about Uh, What is really going to motivate them to change and what could their first steps be? So I have challenges, too, as as a teacher that I think would be similar to someone in a treatment setting um, for for someone who's in the contemplation stage. But it does help in a class to be able to talk about the stages uh, so that the students, can kind of get a sense of where they are in the change process. And in fact, I usually, or I, I will often put up signs uh, of each of the stages in around the room and ask people to stand in the stage where they think they are right now. And then uh, I ask them to give their reasons. And sometimes people realize they're not as far along as they would prefer to be, or maybe they're further along than they thought because they're actually uh, preparing a plan for change. So then they move to a different corner of the room.
2: So techniques like that can help somewhat, too. I think it's also important when we're thinking about people, um, people who are pre-contemplative and contemplative, we aren't going to see behavior change with them. These are really cognitive functions that are happening and cognitive kind of interventions that have to happen to help people make a decision to change.
3: Yes, that's so true. And I think as clinicians, uh, we need to remain encouraging even though we don't see behavior change for a long time because change may well be happening that is invisible to us. I remember one of my students who was working on a problem of uh, buying things that she really didn't need and when she really needed to be saving money. And she said to the class one week that uh, she had bought a dress that she didn't need, but she was very aware that she didn't need it when she bought it, and she was just falling back into her habit patterns. So even though she was still behaving in the same way. Her thinking was beginning to change, and she was able to recognize that, which I think was great on her part.
2: And I think it's, I mean, as you said earlier, insight is really important to understand the need to change. And then once you have the insight, then what?
3: Right. Uh, once you have the insight, I, I think um, making once you have the insight to change, I think you need to transform that insight into a conscious decision to change. Uh, I think the decision to change is so powerful in itself, um, it, you begin to see that you are in control. Uh, once you've decided to change. And I'm fascinated by the research on people who make New Year's resolutions that the people, uh, they compared two groups. Both groups wanted to change a habit. One group made a conscious decision to change. The other group wanted to change, but they didn't make a vow to change. So the group that made a vow to change or a New Year's resolution uh, uh, had maintained, 44% of them had maintained their change at six months. The other group, only 4% had changed. So um, having the insight to change and then making a very explicit conscious decision to change, uh, those are very powerful things.
2: I think that um, it's also interesting when we think about change is that um, sometimes we really minimize how powerful habits can be that, um, you, know, I, I, you know, we talk about being on autopilot right. or, um, and just things we just do because we've always done them and um, habits can be hard to break. They are very hard to break. Uh, they're sometimes described as overlearned
3: behaviors, and that's so true. Um, but I think the fact that they are learned behaviors and that we've learned them so well that we can do them without thinking itself provides kind of a clue for what we need to do to change, and I think the first step is to get off autopilot and use, our awareness, sometimes people nowadays use the term mindfulness, just to be mindful of our habit behaviors as we're doing them and find out what we can learn uh, so that, for example, um, if I find myself in front of the refrigerator, even though I've just had a very nice meal, uh, I can at least recognize that and acknowledge it, and I think that Awareness is one of the things that can break that chain of habit. Um, So one of the first things I have my students do is either fill out a baseline where they make uh, notations about how often, when they practice their habit and how often each day, or to just observe themselves and to see what they can learn by just watching how they what they do when they are doing their habit. Like one uh, woman decided to put her cigarettes in the other room and not keep them in the TV room so that she could be aware of every time she had a cigarette. And she said that really helped her
2: cut down. I think sometimes just journaling, too, for a week or so, just to look at how much of a creature of habit we are, you know, I think that, that can bring an awareness as well. I
3: agree. Journaling is a very powerful technique, and there's been a lot of research showing that just writing down what you eat in a food journal uh, itself can help people lose weight. I would say it's one of the two most powerful techniques for losing weight, the other one being joining a support group and sticking with that group. Um, So I agree, Uh, journaling is an excellent way to really learn about yourself and make the changing of the habit into kind of a a journey of personal
2: growth. What are the, are are there any, like, things you can do that will guarantee that you'll be able to change? Are there any behaviors that you can do that will just guarantee success, whether it's to stop smoking or drinking or...
3: Well, I don't know that there are any guarantees. Um, I would say, first of all, uh, have strong motivators. Know why you're changing. Um, and that will give you some, some willpower. And then um, set up your world, I would say, so that the likelihood of failing is minimized. And that may mean uh, finding supportive people uh, or groups or programs and attending those faithfully. Uh, It could mean changing your environment. Um, So uh, it it can mean doing whatever you need to do to make the right thing to do the, the easy thing to do. Uh, And I think people instinctively know this, and this is why one of the first steps towards healthy eating, for example, is taking all of the junk food out of the refrigerator and and the cabinets, because it's just too tempting to have around. And why use up your willpower in that way? Uh, A lot of people now see willpower as kind of a limited resource, so you have to be careful uh, how you use it, so if you're constantly being faced with temptation, then um, you're depleting your, your willpower unnecessarily. So I would say a, a few keys are uh, strong motivators and uh, setting up uh, a lifestyle that leads you to where you want to go.
2: How do you assess your motivation? I mean, how can people, you know, like I, I can wake up in the morning like really motivated to um, walk for an hour and eat really well, and by 1 o'clock in the afternoon, it's like I'm stressed out, I just want some ice cream and pizza, and I want to go home and curl up in front of the couch. So how, how do you gauge your motivation? Okay. And we'll be right back after this commercial Okay. Um, to answer that question.
1: This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America channel.
0: Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio,
1: voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: is Meg Selig, and we're talking about her book, Change Power, 37 Secrets to Habit Change Success. And we do know that there's evidence for how people change and that people change in a a systematic fashion that's conceptualized by stages. But those stages are very fluid, and they can occur over the course of an afternoon or over the course of a lifetime. And... um, before we went to break I was asking you Meg about how we assess motivation
3: yes and I think the example you gave is something that all of us can relate to where you may start out in the morning um, you know full of uh, pep and zeal to change your habit and then uh, be stressed out by 1 p.m. and uh, find that your motivation is flagging so so uh, a couple of things come to mind. And one is to uh, go back for a moment to this research that says that willpower is sort of like a muscle. When you've had some drains on your psychic energy because of a hard morning at work, uh, you're, you're more vulnerable. So I think um, we could train ourselves to use those moments of feeling uh, that lack of motivation as maybe cues to say, okay, maybe I need to stop and get something to eat and rest for a little while uh, and do something to kind of restore my, uh, my physical and mental energy. Because although I see willpower as a mental kind of energy, a psychic energy, uh, our minds are in our bodies, and so we need... Uh, a good self-care regimen to keep our motivation up and to be able to recognize uh, when we're flagging and do something to help ourselves, whether it's even a one-minute meditation, uh, just a few deep breaths, um, some reassuring words to ourselves. I'm a great believer in in uh, compassionate self-talk. Um, so that's one way I think uh, those are a couple of ideas for helping with that very common situation of the, the fluctuations in our willpower that take place in the course of a day.
2: One of the things that I know a lot of people struggle with, even when they've made a decision to change, um, if they're trying to quit smoking or lose weight or stop drinking or whatever, there's that craving that occurs, um, you know, like, the 2 o'clock craving for chocolate, the, you know, the craving for a cigarette when you're stressed, or when sometimes just the smell of coffee could trigger somebody craving a cigarette. So how, do you, how can people deal with cravings? Well, that's a
3: great question, and I uh, have learned so much about cravings um, that I, I think is surprising and helpful to people who want to change a habit. And one of the things is that a craving or an urge is just that old uh, uh, false friend, so to speak, of your habit um, trying to assert itself again. And even though the craving seems powerful, most cravings only last 10 minutes, say at the most 15. Uh, now, I'm not talking about withdrawal symptoms here. That's a different matter, which needs to be handled in a different way. But a, a craving for a cigarette or uh, a, or after a gallon of ice cream, um, those really don't last long. And once you know that, you can figure out ways to distract yourself until the craving passes, which it will.
2: Um, what are some of the ways that you can, you can distract yourself that you found to be successful? Well, I believe it's the American
3: Lung Association that has the, the five Ds. Uh, distract yourself, drink water, discuss it with someone else, deep breathe, and, uh, and I always forget the fifth one. But uh, so uh, I guess in a word, using some uh, calming techniques. I guess I would include self-talk in, in those techniques, too. Talking to yourself about that, you know, it's a little difficult right now, but cravings don't last. You'll be able to get through this. So I think uh, while you're having the craving, talking to yourself in a comforting way is also very effective. One of the people that I mentioned in my book, uh, a Professor, I know that I greatly respect, had a terrible time quitting smoking, and she actually charted her cravings every day for the first week. And for the first few days, she was dismayed to discover that the number of cravings she had went up every day, but then by the fourth day, the number of cravings that she had started going down. And she knew then that she could beat it. Uh, She was a scientist, uh, but she had never thought to apply this kind of graphing method to her own habit change. But when she did, she felt uh, more in control, and that also gave her something to do during a craving. So she was very creative about her way of quitting smoking, which... She did, by the way, on her 100th try.
2: So she was very persistent. You know, it's interesting because I think when we, we are creatures of habits, and our habits are comforting to us. And I think for most of us, our habits, we feel like we're in control because we're doing something we always do, and it's something we feel comfortable doing. So creating a new habit really does lead a sense of feeling out of control. Yes. Um, it does. And I
3: think that substituting uh, a, a substitution is one of the great super tools of change. So perhaps substituting a healthy comforting habit for the old habit um, would work for many people. And also I think, again, good self-care while you're changing a habit is important. Um, maybe creating some new rituals that are just as comforting and yet healthy
2: ones. Is there, is there one secret to um, successful uh, habit change that, that surprised you? I mean, in doing your, your work, is there one thing that really surprised you about change?
3: I think the, uh, the cravings uh, surprised me. And uh, I I think I was shocked when I read, shocked in a good way, when I read about the stages of change model for the first time, because it made so much intuitive sense to me, and I had been looking for some kind of model that could help myself and my students, Um, and It was wonderful to find out that someone had thought this through and had made sense of uh, and given us a way to think about the whole habit change process and that it wasn't usually something that happened with a snap of the fingers or a a blast of lightning or a puff of smoke, but that um, it took awareness and work and it took time. So um, I think I was thrilled and surprised to find out that someone had been thinking about this and had conceptualized it in this very uh, easy to understand way.
2: When, when we're thinking about um, habits and we, we think about changing, um, oftentimes we think about this needs to be something that's done um, kind of like in isolation, that if I, if I tell anybody that I'm trying to lose weight or I'm trying to stop smoking, then um, I'm going to jinx myself or it won't work. I have to do this on my own. And usually it's recommended that once you make this conscious decision that you do talk about it, right, that you let people know that you make it part of what, you, what you're talking about every day.
3: Yes, there's some research that making it known to others does help your your change process, although I I always advise people to do what makes the most sense to them in their environment because some people may be in a situation where they know from past experience that telling others isn't going to work for them. And for those people... uh, I, I think it would be great if they could brainstorm how they could find some other supportive relationships um, to cultivate as they're changing their habit, because uh, to be in a supportive environment just makes it so much easier, and um, it could also bring them some, some new Uh, social ties that could be very helpful in other ways, too.
2: And I think we would be remiss if we didn't kind of talk a little bit about the fact that even after someone makes a conscious change, conscious decision to change, and they've had some success, it's possible to have a lapse back into old behaviors. That's true. And... One thing that that
3: I think is very comforting is that lapse in the stages of change model and even relapse is considered a normal part of change. And actually knowing the difference between a lapse and a relapse is very comforting to people that a little lapse doesn't necessarily lead to a big
2: relapse. And we'll be right back for our last segment. If you have any questions about change, this is your time to call. Thank you.
4: common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's Westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders.
0: Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind, embrace positively, release the tension, step out of fear host, Simran Singh, will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 11.11 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network, 11.11 Talk Radio, because shift happens.
5: Two views, different topics, questions, answers, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk
2: C-Leak, and we're talking about change and her book, Change Power, 37 Secrets to Habit Change Success. And um, Meg, could you just uh, share with us the difference between a lapse and a relapse? Sure. Uh, a lapse is a brief or
3: one-time uh, setback, whereas a relapse is really uh, going back to the contemplation or pre-contemplation stage with your habit. Uh, And I think the distinction is so important because especially with habits like healthy eating, you're bound to have little lapses. And if you're able to keep those lapses small and learn from them, then you won't have the bigger relapses. in terms of the definition, one of my students, I think, gave the best definition I've ever heard. She said, a lapse is like eating too much on Thanksgiving Day. A relapse is treating every day as if it were Thanksgiving Day. So um, uh, it's it's very reassuring to students to know that they don't have to be perfect, and what that they can simply learn from the lapse not let it get too big,
2: and keep going. I think that, you know, mistakes are sometimes, um, well, for me, I probably learn more from my mistakes than I do from um, in other ways, and I think it's just a way to try things. A mistake can just be a way to try something that isn't effective, that we don't have to beat ourselves up for them.
3: Right, and I think this is one of the essential secrets, I think, to successful habit change, that when you do make a mistake, and it's inevitable that we all do make these mistakes, um, to try to withhold judgment on yourself and simply learn from it uh, as if you um, were just a curious observer. Hmm, I wonder why I did that. Uh, How can I keep from doing that in the future? or why was even uh, to learn from successes, why was I so successful today? What made things work? I really think having that learning attitude helps you bounce back from relapse. And there is so much research evidence behind that. Uh, There's a, a book out called Mindset. The whole idea of having a learning mindset, I think, is
2: really helpful to successful habit change. Um, you mentioned about one of the you know, later stages of change is being in maintenance and maintaining that that uh, behavior change over time. What are, how can you be successful at that?
3: Well, that is a really important question, um, especially with a habit like uh, an exercise program or healthy eating. Uh, its I won't say it's easy to make a change for a while, but what's, what tends to happen is that people are doing really well, and then their change program starts to unravel. And I think it's important to realize that people need to continue doing the things that made them successful in the first place, that it's when they stop doing those things that uh, they stopped their change process. So, for example, uh, a friend of mine uh, attended Weight Watchers as her support group for weight loss and uh, then began gaining weight again. Eventually she realized she needed to go back to the group, uh, but by then she'd already gained back 20 pounds of the 40 that she had lost. But she persisted and she lost weight again. The next time uh, she was under stress and began overeating, she was much quicker to realize that, okay, she needed to go back for a tune-up. And this time, she was able to to, uh, get back to doing the things she needed to do after gaining just five pounds. So, Continuing to learn, continuing to use the, the methods of change that I call super tools, even when you've pretty much created a new good habit, you still need to, to maintain some uh, good self-monitoring techniques and some good other monitoring techniques uh, at the uh, support groups or uh, counseling or treatment uh, level that that you have uh, engaged with
2: well and I think one of the other <clears throat> challenges I think of maintenance is learning how to maintain this new behavior when you're when you're experiencing life in a different way you know it's it's you know losing weight let's use that example when you're working you know you go to work you hit, you're in a routine and so it's easy to maintain your weight when you're when you're in that routine that you know when, and that you've already made accommodations for. But then if you end up having to travel for work or you end up having maybe to go on even a really nice vacation, how do you how do you maintain your those changes in a, in a completely different environment where the structure isn't there? Or,
3: well, yeah, that's a great question, and it's certainly something I've personally experienced. And I think that, uh, well, first of all, I, I would be... Uh, gentle with yourself, Uh, you know, if you gain a few pounds when you travel, you can lose them when you get home. But also, I think good planning can um, uh, help you in a lot of those situations, especially if you've traveled for a while and you understand your particular pitfalls so that you, you make sure that you get three good meals a day, three healthy meals Um, Maybe you bring some food so that you're not tempted to eat an unhealthy snack at the airport uh, or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I think planning and persistence can help a lot in those cases.
2: Meg, if people want to get in contact with you or want to learn more about your book, how can they get in contact with you?
3: Uh, They can email me through my website, which is mcelig at changepower.net.
2: Thank you so much for being a guest this week and everybody have a great week
3: I enjoyed it thank you Mary